Welcome to the latest podcast of Sunrise Nation. This is Pat LaRusso, and I'll soon be joined by my co-host, Lucas Yagenti. Uh, in today's uh, podcast, we'll be joined uh, by a very special guest, ex-Toronto Maple Leafs, Mark Frazier. Welcome to the latest podcast of Senators Nation. Uh, here I am with my co-host Lucas Agenti with a very special guest, Mark Frazier. Uh, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. Um, so Mark, we're definitely in a very interesting and unprecedented time uh, because of all the mass protests and rage um, given the most recent uh, unjustly murder by law enforcement uh, in regards to George Floyd. In your perspective, what will be the impact that will come from these current events, and you know, not only for society at large, but also within the NHL? Um, well, the hope, I guess, starting with the NHL, the hope is um, that they'll, for one, acknowledge um, you know, some of the experiences that some of their athletes have to go through. Um, and not just acknowledging it, but you know, truly uh, in acknowledging it, truly trying to understand um, just the journey and the experiences and, and in this particular situation, a lot of the downs more than the ups that, that the not only black NHL players, but um, any people of color who have made it to the NHL. Um, it's more so for the NHL to open their eyes to um, just hear and understand and actually acknowledge that although we tend to believe a lot of the times as hockey players in the hockey community, that we are all one of a kind because there obviously is a great common denominator um, that, that, that links all of us to each other. But just having that understanding uh, from the league's perspective that we actually aren't all the same as much as we want to believe it, that there are obviously physical differences. We can choose to be blind to it and not see you know color in that sense, but that's just not the reality for the, the players of color. That's just simply not our reality. It's simply not my reality. So for the NHL, I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for them would to be uh, doing what society is also trying to do. Acknowledge that this is an issue, um, to listen to the players and anyone who's uh, speaking up on these issues and their own ex personal experiences. But in, in admitting that they're acknowledging it, there has to be also an understanding that, that it exists, but it, it's not something we can kind of blindly go about sweeping under the rug or just kind of ignoring or, or again, benefiting from certain privilege and just not really truly understanding or, or wanting to stamp it out. Um, and that's clearly what we're seeing in society right now. And, and, and the NHL being a majority white league and a majority white organization and industry, uh, just like the rest of America has to understand that the white majority needs to truly be as outraged about the, the unjust treatments because it's not, unfortunately, it's not just in the example of George Floyd. That's obviously what's brought um, all this to light the way it has in the last last two weeks. Um, but, you know, black players in the NHL have, have been speaking about this for a long time. Maybe not on the same public platforms that we are now or that, for example, Keem Eliud uh, recently did. But... It hasn't been a secret for a while, so I think it's 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 important for the league to, to understand 
uh, and acknowledge that it is something that happens. Even They're not immune to it. It very much happens even within their beautiful game of hockey. But to try to listen to those experiences and the words and the sentiments of the black players to, 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 and to be allies with us, we need to see not just an understanding and an acknowledgement, but we need to see action. We need to see... We need to see some just action from all of the majority supporters, whether that be citizens in Minneapolis or in California or wherever in the States or people in the, in the front office of the, of the NHL league. Um, it's not just enough anymore to say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm against racism or, or preach love, not hate. We need a larger call to action than that because this has historically just always been something that people of color have had to experience. And it's not just going to go away with a few nice, uh, you know, meaningful gestures. We need as like some actual action to be taking place. No, and, and that, and that kind of leads into my next question. So in your opinion, is there a stigma for people of color or even other minority communities and people who want to come to play hockey? Like, is there like, a, like an initial wall that they, they hit when they get into the sport? Um, not, not like, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there is, but nothing that... I mean, I could perhaps pinpoint, in 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 a sense, just by being a minority and being willing to throw yourself uh, into the game of hockey. The deeper you get into it, as far as um, the more you play, the more you fall in love with it. Uh, the more you watch it, the more you hang out with people who watch it. The the further you get in, perhaps your own playing career, and if you get to competitive levels, the deeper entrenched you get into the hockey community, the more you will actually just realize how much of a minority you are. Uh, it's not something that you realize necessarily as a kid early on. You may not really pay attention to that. And that's sort of my own personal experiences. You know, hockey in a lot of ways has been very good to me. It's been amazing to me, in fact. But having made it my career for as long as I have, um, the deeper I got into, the further I, I got in, into my career, the, the more I continued to play, the, the more competitive things got, the more isolated I felt and I was um, through certain moments. So that being said, I think that there's there's not necessarily a, a wall, so to speak, um, but for one, for a lot of people of color and a lot of minorities, uh, immediately at the grassroots level, there's an affordability issue. You know, it's it's that's the one shame about of, of hockey for me is, um, you know, demographically speaking, if we want it to be a game that that is for everyone, we have to make it accessible for everyone. We're already hindered by having to you know, needing a sheet of ice and skates and all that just in order to be able to play it. Um, but being able to afford it is a real challenge for a lot of minorities as well. And trying to find some kind of, I don't know what the answers are, but trying to find some kind of way to first address the affordability issues um, would for one help, I think, embrace a lot of minorities. And you know, there isn't anything clear that happens to a, a youth hockey player, perhaps, who's, who's of color that, you know, says, oh, this game is not for you. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made it as far as I did. That wasn't at all my experience. It's just that, it's just challenging that the further entrenched you get into something and the more cognitive and conscious you become of your surroundings and, and, and perhaps you realize that someone's thrown a, some kind of derogatory slur my way but not in the way of my, my peers or my teammates. You know, you the game itself... Um, has a has a has a way of kind of eventually through fans through through comments through through perhaps coaches or whatever it has a way of eventually showing uh, a minority that although you are one of us there are differences and some 
potential challenges you're going to have to face just simply because you look different but you want to play our game and that's obviously what we're trying to trying to squash it's not right that any player of color would have to feel that no and, and you know what that's so true and that actually takes me to your player tribune article that you just had released late last week which mark i enjoyed deeply i read it um but right off the bat you made mention of two instances specifically and correct me if i'm wrong but i believe one was when you were 14 and one when you were 17 um, do you want to share with our listeners who haven't read that article what specifically happened at those two points in your hockey career and kind of just let us know, you know, did that shape your career at the time or how did that impact you uh, moving forward? Uh, for sure. And definitely I'll say for anyone who hasn't read it, I mean, please take the 10 minutes or so to go to the Players' Tribune and, and, and to read it. Um, and that's not a self-plug. That's simply just because I the, I believe um, it's a very heartfelt, heartfelt and powerful message, and I would just love it to um, to reach as many people as possible. But my intro to that article and saying um, there's the, the two earlier incidents, but there's three in total. But yeah, the first one when I was 14 um, was while playing in Quebec, just in a town that's about 20 minutes maybe from where I live in Ottawa, where I grew up in Ottawa, and. The instance there was just me being a 14-year-old kid in the penalty box. I had just received a coincidental penalty, myself and another kid on the opposing team. Um, something that <laughs> I've done a lot in my career, um, ending up in the penalty box. But um, while I was there, I had there's a couple uh, local parents or, or whoever from the other team who uh, were just kind of harassing me and, and, and just you know really sort of aggressively <laughs> yelling at me. Uh, for whatever I had just done on the ice, I'm not even quite sure what it was. Um, and the what they were basically saying was they're yelling at me to go back to the bush. And at that time, truly, I didn't really know what that meant. Uh, I knew that they clearly were not happy with me, and whatever their intentions are, they're they're angry and they're trying to, you know, cause some kind of pain or hurt towards me. But I really didn't know what it meant. But it, it created a bit of a scene, and then. It wasn't until after the game where parents had asked me or my father and, and I think uh, one of the Francophone parents up from our team had asked what they were saying. And once I had told them, it then got brought to my attention. My father told me um, that they were essentially calling me to go back to Africa, um, go back to the bush in Africa. And the following situation, I guess, was a few years later when I was 17, uh, 18, 17, um, playing in, in the area of in Erie, Pennsylvania, playing with the Kitchener Rangers in the OHL. And same situation, I found myself uh, in a penalty box, which I was no stranger to. And uh, this was just one of those typical kind of redneck fans that's just his his life is to sit beside the penalty box and just heckle the teenagers that <laughs> end up there in junior games, which is nothing that's honestly that crazy or ridiculous in, the, in hockey or in sports. Nothing I certainly couldn't handle. Um, but he, uh, as he was ragging on me for whatever it was that I had done, um, he then started basically just chirping me and saying, you know, I should be sticking to play. Why am I playing hockey? We should just stick to playing basketball. That's where I belong. And it's not so much that it was just the basketball, the ignorance of the basketball comment, but I remember it was some. It was saying that you know that's more where you that's where you belong, as if hockey had no place for me. Um, you know, I was I was a key contributor to my team at an amazing level, and the fact that that was still someone's sentiment towards me, which obviously just it immediately angered me. So I stood up. There was no way I could access him because the crack of the glass was too small. But I stood up and was squirting water back at him, and and um, that created a scene. And and 
security came down and base eventually without really knowing the details, although I'm pretty sure I was yelling what he had said to me. Um, security had removed him and there were some uh, further repercussions afterwards. I can't remember exactly what happened, but he was, he was either uh, banned for the remainder of the season or for, you know, the remainder of a certain amount of games. But so they at least, you know, to the Erie Otters credit, they at least sort of stepped in and, and, and showed some kind of discipline for that. But yeah, those were two early actions. It's just me as a teenager, just going up playing the game and, and both times, you know, whenever you're within that reach of a fan's heckle, uh, both times they chose to heckle me, not for my play, not for my lack of ability or my lack of offensive ability or scoring touch. It was solely just because this kid looks different, so I'm going to let him know it. That's, you know, now, I, I couldn't imagine what that would have been like as a young teenager. You know, you're still forming your own identity, uh, so that couldn't have been easy for you uh, at all. Um, but we have seen a change in hockey. Hockey's usually not a sport where a lot of people will stick their heads out. But within the last few weeks especially, um, we've started to see more white players come out and in in, in wanting to counter this. Um, you know, how, uh, sorry about that everyone, we had a little bit of a technical glitch there. Um, but Mark, I was getting to the fact that um, a lot more white players have started to come out in the, you know, and recognizing that there is an issue in hockey. You know, mo- you know most recently we've seen Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. Uh, Blake Wheeler, Logan Couture, Alex Ovechkin, and a few others come out in, in support of all the black players. What has that meant to you and to the rest of the, you know, the players within the NHL um, that these players are now starting to come out w- willing to listen and, and, not, and educate themselves, but not only just that, but now leveraging their large platforms uh, to advocate for change in hockey? That's that's been huge. I mean, it's and that's exactly it. It's leveraging their platforms to to you know entice change within the game and that's exactly what we need you know and i referenced it earlier in, in just one of my answers it's you know the quote i've used a couple of times is until the majority is as outraged as the oppressed you know there there will be no justice or you know against or the injustice racial injustice will just continue to happen so when i first saw um Blake Wheeler and Logan Couture's comments. I've mentioned Connor Carrick was another one, and they have legitimate, lengthy, you know, genuine, heartfelt statements. Um, for one, it made me quite emotional, to be honest, because uh, one of the struggles for myself and I know for a lot of the other black players in, in, in anything we've dealt with um, in the game and outside the game, but anything in this particular issue, I mean, we're just not really in an industry and in an environment where it's catering to us sharing these types of stories. It's never been that way. And not only just not catering to sharing these types of stories, but also um, who's going to really get it? You know, who's our audience going to be? Everyone we look around doesn't look like us. So will they really understand? It's one thing to say you are against racism, but will you really understand um, how this comment or this question from the media or this suggestion or joke made by a coach or whatever it was, how am I supposed to react to that in a room full of white guys when they don't actually know how I feel? I have to react how they want me to react, basically, yeah. in order for me to fit in and, and, and be one of the boys. And that's that's obviously very challenging. It's in, in the sentiment and the statements from the Blake Wheelers and Couture's, um, it was a it was a like a, a light bulb moment almost. It was just a, a, this 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 really incredible emotional moment for me where I realized 
if they're using their platform, if Blake Wheeler is showing that he's as outraged as what's happening in Minnesota or Minneapolis because he's a native of there, then then that gives me the power to say it too. It's crazy to think that these types of things could happen and I would maybe still not use my voice to express my anger, disgust with, with what we all as humans and in humanity can very well see is wrong. But I'm still hesitant to do so because I don't want to go against the grain. I don't want to upset my superiors or my bosses. I don't want to lose my job or just be the guy who's going to be too political and you know bring that type of media attention to the team instead of whatever other focus the media attention should be on the team. Um, and that's that. To be honest, that's just straight silly. So it meant a lot. Um, you know, there are definitely a lot of players who have expressed who have made statements, who have, uh, who have expressed their their unity with the black players and with and their fight against racial injustice and that their stance is with us. And that's great because we obviously need that. And we need the big guns. We need the, the big dogs. We need the Connors and the Sids um, and the Ovies to, to, to speak loudly for us because our voices haven't been heard for so long. And what I've tried to, to get out in, in both my article and in any interviews I've done lately is the importance of the majority, of the white majority speaking out, not just to say, yeah, I'm against it, but to really speak out, to show what they're, to, to express some kind of sentiment of what they're going to do as well. It's not just enough to like, you know, post a tweet or an Instagram comment. That's great. It's nice to know that you're on our side. Um, but, but we can't really do a whole lot with that. Again, it goes back to the answer about the NHL. We need to see action. So I love that the my white peers are coming out and supporting us in this because that is a hundred percent necessary and it's something that because of their social media platforms, I think could actually be a large difference in what we're seeing now versus you know generations or decades prior when this is, there's been revolts. It's it just it means it truly just means the world to me that this is, doesn't have to be just a black guy's fight. The fact that guys who have probably who are very privileged or probably not experienced racism, at least from a victim standpoint whatsoever, can be as outraged and can acknowledge that, you know, if it's not just George Floyd or, or you know, Ahmaud Aubrey or Breonna Taylor or Elizabeth Eric Garner, any of these people, it's not just them, it's also their peers. It's also, you know, people who work at the rink. It's also people who may valet their cars. It's, you know, and, and it's the guys that they, they, some, they, they score goals and get assists off of as well. If all of us are in this together in the sense of if you can't see that it could potentially be me, your boy, your guy who's willing to drop the gloves and fight for you, that could be put in that very same threat, life-threatening situation for no reason other than the color of my skin when it comes down to it, that unifying stance of like that is not okay from the big guns in the league is so huge because it's not only brought me here today with you guys, like giving me the confidence to speak out and find my voice on this matter, but it's also what's going to incite a lot of the change we need. Because in the history of racism, black people have made a whole lot of noise about this in the past, and clearly not a lot has been done, but it's when the majority starts getting angered about it and saying, this is not right, this is not equal rights, this is not, you know, that, that type of police brutality is, is, is straight up assault, and it's not at all protecting and serving, but it's very much targeted most often at a particular demographic of minorities. 
that type of stance, that verbal type of action, but also the following up action is needed. It's not just good enough for Connors and Sid and Obies to just say we're against it. I want to see some action from these dudes too. Um, but I mean, having their support is just so incredibly huge for us, and they need to know that. And you made mention a couple times in your response there. Um, I guess it kind of ties into hockey culture in general. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to say here is you, you mentioned the words, you know, be one of the boys or or being in a room full of white guys, you know, having a joke that, you know, you might not be comfortable with and having to laugh to fit in. Uh, and from my opinion, I guess that is kind of the problem. Um, but I also would never know what that would feel like because growing up playing hockey myself, I've never experienced playing hockey with a colored, uh, you know, person, uh, minority there yeah. and I, I i've never experienced something like that so i would never know what it was like to to see that happening so i guess my question to you is in hockey specifically in north america do minor leagues need to you know be more inclusive or is it just hockey culture in general that that kind of the problem lies with or is it the fact that you know in, in minor leagues that hockey isn't as inclusive and it's not as accessible for minority groups uh, I, I would say overall it's it's beyond just the north american scope because um, in in a manner, you know, I played for three years now in Europe in three different European countries, and, and you know, to some degree, it's it's almost more foreign overseas. Well, not some degree; it's a hundred percent more foreign overseas that um, that there are black guys playing uh, on those on any pro team or even just making it to North America from Europe. So that means there's probably not a lot of them playing at the grassroots or the youth level either, um, and understandably so. Um, but yeah, the issue, it, it, it is tough because like you said, cause the culture is very, you know, it's very bro -y and that's, that's not yeah. a bad thing. That's to be honest, in my opinion, what, what links us, what, what makes us so, um, loyal to each other through the fact that part of our games culture literally allows us to fist fight each other for honor and pride of your teammates and your boy and your partners, you know, that type of yeah. willingness to shed blood is kind of crazy when you think about it. But that's how deeply ingrained we are. But then taking it back to like, I'm doing this for the same guys who, you know, a dude who I have no, you know, malintent towards any of my teammates, but that particular guy I maybe just stuck up for is a guy who exactly, you know, just dropped a joke the other day that I had to kind of like, ha ha ha, laugh it off, but wasn't able right. to ever say, you know what, bro, like I'm not, you know, don't, don't, don't be saying that around me or don't be saying that period. <laughs> you know, it's funny, but it's not. But the culture is ingrained in us because we have this like tight brotherhood and because there is this unifying, you know, uh, fraternity uh, where we are willing to kind of go to battle for each other, where you just kind of don't, you know, you don't really want to ruffle the feathers. There's there's hockey in every hockey locker room I've ever been in. We talk about accountability and holding each other accountable because the more as teammates you can and in any, you know, work environment, the more you can have your, your peers and your colleagues holding each other accountable, the better performance everyone will have, right? The more, the more I hold, the more you guys hold me accountable on the ice for my performance, the more likely I, I won't just be goofing off and messing up. Cause I know like you guys are going to give it to me straight. But when it comes to these personal issues, you can't really do that because it goes against the grain. Cause now you don't want to be a bad guy in the locker room. I've been a leader almost everywhere I've gone. I've worn a letter. Uh, I've been a, like either associate assistant captain or the captain of, of, of a lot of my teams, even at the pool level. And me being a problem in the room has never been an issue. Right. But there's still that hesitancy because you're like, well, 
if I ruffle, if I speak up right now, are anyone, is everyone even going to understand where I'm coming from? So you kind of just hold it inside and you don't acknowledge and you don't really let it out. You kind of suppress that. And that is largely because the culture isn't, isn't inclusive enough to give you the platform or the comfort to just, to just say, to stand up for the boys and just say, you know what guys, there's just something that's been on my mind lately. And you know, X, Y, Z's happened. And I would just appreciate it if we as a group could just, you know, stand behind me, support me. It kind of rattles me when it happens, but I just ask, you know, Maybe we don't do that anymore. It's hard to do that because you don't want to then become a guy who's like, oh, man, can you believe me? Yeah. It's silly to think. And looking back at it now, you could probably stand up and have those combos and people will be like, hell yeah, man, we're behind you. We got your back, no doubt. Sure. But the fact that before, you know, the last five months or so, six months, perhaps since like the Bill Peters thing came out, that was never a comfort for any of us to say in the room. And to me, that's crazy, but it's very much a reflection of what the culture is. Really quickly, you mentioned there um, about you being a problem in the room or, or that being a thought at least. Did, did you have a problem before you went overseas uh, with a coach asking a player if you were going to be a problem? I remember reading something about that. I'm not sure if you wanted to share that story or not. but Yeah, yeah. so that was, that was, the, so that was the, also part of the entry in, in my Players' Tribune article. It was yeah. when I was 14 and 17 and then uh, 32. And... Um, what that was was uh, I found out about it much later, um, but one of the it was when I played in Slovakia and I had been unsigned. I was kind of holding out for something. Um, not much was coming around, but I that I wanted at least. And then it was probably late. It was close to mid to late November, so obviously I uh, I was in a position where I'm like I just got to get on the ice. I I just got to get to playing. And uh, an opportunity came to go to the top team of the league in, in Slovakia. So I said, oh, whatever, I'll take it. Um, and, you know, as far as I know, it was a non-issue. Um, I got there. I, Other than perhaps Ladislav Nagy, I think I have no one in the league who played more NHL games than I had. Uh, so, you know, as far as my resume went, like, I most certainly belonged there. It was hands and above, or, you know, 100% without a doubt was was a league that I could easily, easily play in. Um so the story, how the story goes, was uh, one day just basically being the last guy left in the room, was uh, not particularly liking my environment, but just trying to take out my frustration in the in the weight room, yeah. and just being one of the last guys to leave. One of the assistant captains came up and just started talking to me, and and just you know, I could kind of tell he had something he wanted to say, and uh, he just started. We kind of got into it a little bit, and and he was just telling me that when uh, right before they decided to bring me in, which again would have been around the end of November, which this was about two months um, after he had, or before he was telling me this. And he just said, uh, yeah, or, yeah, pulled myself and the other two captains in and just asked, uh, you know, we're looking to bring in a new player. Um, he's a black player. And before we do that, just want to know if this is something that would potentially hurt the locker room somehow or, or affect the team morale in some way. And my, 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 I don't have beef necessarily with the GM for doing that. Um, to be honest, he was kind of trying to do his due diligence, I guess, and in, in, in seeing if there would be an issue. The fact that he was interested in me, I don't think the issue was with him, but I thought that he was at least aware enough that this could create an issue. The response that I heard, because I later then brought it up to one of the other captains, 
looks like. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Exactly what you'd hope that your your teammates would say about you. But it was just so baffling to me that being two months now in the league, um, a league that I could very easily handle myself in, um, in all manners of the game, and a league that no one really had my resume as far as games played in the in the NHL or in the American League or wherever. That the question was never about is he just good enough, or there was never even just like, oh my god, this guy's still available. He can help us out so much. It was never that. The question was, will he affect in a negative means what we have going on as a first place team right now? Because people won't really vibe with the fact that he's a brother, and that to me is just crazy that that could even be a question. Like I said, the GM was kind of doing his due diligence and like making sure it wasn't going to be an issue. But the fact that we even had to wonder means like what's the state of, of what's the state of, of, of a hockey culture? Absolutely. Yeah. What's the state overseas that you can't look at a guy who played more NHL games than anyone in the league, but you yeah. question his ability to join you and make your team better because he might bring something negative with him solely because he's black. That to me was just, you know, I, I didn't truly didn't get it, but, um, but it makes you think, how many other jobs did I maybe not get because of the same issue? You know, there's been two or three years that I played in Europe. I didn't sign until November. I'm not saying that is the issue, but it's the kind of thing that obviously makes you wonder because for some people it clearly was the issue. So yeah. uh, it's a shame that, to, you know, to know that I would never want to get a job because I'm black, yeah. but it hurts to know that I perhaps didn't get a job because I'm black. Yeah, no, which makes total sense. And, and the thing I find crazy about is the fact that like you mentioned a million times, you, you know, you had an NHL resume, you're a proven player. And the fact that this guy, this GM had to, you know, go to his team and, and essentially ask the team if, if you were going to be a problem, I find that incredible. And it kind of makes me wonder if it was the team. So I guess my next kind of question here is quickly, did you ever have any issues with players on the team or, or were the guys great? Because I kind of wonder where that initial question stemmed from, if, if it was, right. you know, management or a team. Or... Right. No, it was... Um... No, I never had any issues with the, with the team after that. There was a large language barrier between myself and a lot of the guys. Yeah. So there was obviously some distance there. But as far as I knew it, I had everyone's respect. Um, you know, our coach was a Slovakian guy, but he had played a little bit in the NHL and played in North America for a number of years in, in his career. And uh, by the end of the season, when we, we lost in, in, in the semis, but – he, he, he said, he's like, you, he told me, he's like, you're the heart and soul of our team. You know, the guys, you didn't have a letter because obviously you came in late and guys, you know, we almost need to keep them happy, you know, keep them in the leadership roles. Yep. But he, like, it was very evident to me that you were the heart and soul of the team, that everyone, you know, when you want to speak up and say something, everybody listen. So just that response alone tells me that I can't imagine there was any, um, you know, any, 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 malice or any uh you know ill intent or, or or just general guys not liking me for any reason um i can't particularly imagine like i said as far as i knew i got along with everybody excellent um i guess the next question would be it looks like we lost uh, lucas for a bit um so what would it mean to have more black or minority um, people represented in management? So be it a general manager, more coaches, maybe even in ownership. What would that do to maybe push the game forward? Um, I think, I mean, it would be huge. <laughs> it would be so huge. There's a, it's, much, it's kind of a different example, but there's a, 
the, the exact same issues going on right now in the NFL. Um, and that's to bring up the awareness of that of all the players and all the knowledge that's been in that particular league in the NFL, in the National Football League. How are there only three black coaches out of 32 teams and not more? Well, it's the same sort of issue in hockey, right? There's It's been an ongoing um, battle for minorities and blacks to get into uh, pro levels in general, just because of, for everything we mentioned before, from, yeah. from a grassroots level, the struggles, the affordability, everything there. Um, but I think it would I think it would mean a lot to be honest, because for real change to happen, whether this is in sports or this is in um, society or, or in politics, you know, change comes from the tops. But it's only really in influential positions of power that you can truly conduct or, or at least organize that change, where you can yourself rewrite some laws, rewrite some 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 uh, you know expectations. Um, having a, a black general manager or a black owner or a black team president in the NHL is, I mean, to, for me, it's, it's, it would be like never believing you would see, you know, Obama in the white house, but one day it happens. It truly would almost be a dream come true in the sense of it's so unfathomable for me growing up in this industry to, to, to envision that, but it truly is a dream to be able to envision that. I often use the example of, um, the Vince Carter effect, or the Toronto Raptors in general coming to Toronto. In a certain amount of years, a couple decades, look what's now happened. Not just their own success, but the the products that Toronto is now producing in the NBA. Guys like Andrew Wiggins, who are now first overall draft picks, are products of the Raptors bringing basketball and Vince Carter bringing notoriety to the basketball community in, in not only just Toronto, but Canada. So imagine the same effect that could be seen down the road from an influential person of power who's black in a hockey position of power and whether that be general manager president owner whatever it may be i think it would be very there's my black minority owners i know of some teams um but to really have kind of a face in the franchise i think that would be huge i I could only imagine because that person would be so hungry and eager i would have to imagine in finding more people who look like them in the community reaching out to different minority neighborhoods and kids. And, and, and imagine the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey programs where it was driven to just try to find more uh, with MLSE was just driven to try to be more involved in particular, in particular minority communities and to really influence um, the kids lives there and to let them see not just black players, but like there's black bosses too. There's no, there's no, um, I, I, I can't, sort of stress enough, I guess, the influence that that would have on a youngster. We all know, kind of remember what it's like being kids and remember having idols we look up to. I mean, as a hockey player, I, I looked up to Jerome McGinley. Like, I wonder why. One of my first ever book reports, first two book reports I ever wrote were on um, Bobby Orr and Jackie Robinson. And I was 10 years old. So, I mean... Why as a 10-year-old was I already in tune with Jackie Robinson? Obviously, because there was a story that resonated there with me. I don't think I had ever been a victim of racism as a 10-year-old, but I knew that I was black and he was black, and I knew that he he was the first black person to do something really great in his sport. So that being said, I have those memories as a child uh, looking up to those, those types of idols, whether it be Jackie Robinson or Jerome McGinley or whomever. I can only imagine it would have the exact same effect on kids today to see 
a black NHL captain, which has been, happened um, only a couple times before, or a black GM or a black president, um, some influential person to not only get in there and mix things up and start changing things themselves, uh, but the influence that they can have in a community by just the willingness now to outreach to a youth community and people around to let people know, hey, look how I look. I and I got here, so you guys can do it too. <clears throat> we're we're kind of we're taught a lot in society by like what we see and what we witness, and that's how we learn and grow. At least for myself, and I think it would have a drastic but a, 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 an amazingly influential um, effect on the game. Excellent, excellent. And you know, as we know, with every organized league, uh, money talks. Um, so the NHL is the fourth largest sport in the United States when it comes to their TV deal. How can making hockey more racially diverse help to grow the sports in markets where specifically it's currently struggling? I mean, it was, that's also a no brainer to me, to be honest. Like, it, uh, I mean, why wouldn't you want, I mean, if it is, which we all know comparatively to the other three major sports, if it is the lowest one, as far as ratings or revenue or whatever, um, why wouldn't you want to reach into all the every different demographic you possibly could? And we're talking now about a sport. Um, there's a long history of African Americans, African Canadians, who are amazing athletes. Now, some will never perhaps be introduced to hockey again because of climate, because you need a, an actual ice rink to skate on, and that's not in, in everyone's demographic or areas. Um, but for the same reason that NBA is so attractive or the NFL, the players, their own personal branding of the players, um, the expressiveness, the, 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 the platforms to be expressive, there's no leash, there's no glass ceiling that's saying you have to abide by this rule or by this culture. You can never be too big of a brand because that's not what we're about. That's not what NBA players are doing. They're, they're still, you know, guys are still loyal, loyal to whatever team they're wearing on their chest. But there's opportunities for them to be expressive as athletes and as celebrities and as somewhat pop culture, influential people to just be themselves. And I think it's so cool that the NBA has allowed their players to have the type of freedom they have to express themselves because it makes me as a fan uh, feel closer to the players. It makes me as a fan feel like, man, if I could do it again, I don't want to be like those guys because those guys are like me. Well, so if we could do the same thing in hockey and 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 have uh, sort of a marketing around the different cultures of the game. That's the problem with hockey culture is that it's very, very, very singular, right? It's like this is the way it is. We don't like to ruffle the, the feathers. We don't like to, to go against the grain. We don't like to you know, get into too much trouble or too controversial ever. Forget all that. You know what I mean? You gotta, sometimes you gotta be able to, 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 to truly make waves. Um, you gotta be able to, to, to shake things up. You gotta be able to mix things up. And a large part of that is if you want to grow the game and hit other demographics that in this particular situation would perhaps be a minority demographic that you're not tapping into, but are very much, uh, you know, uh, an, an army of sports fans. Why would you not be trying to find ways not only to get into their communities, but to use the guys you have as as posters for the league? Yeah. Use the Pete, use the Wayne Simmons, 
use uh you know the JT Browns and Chris Stewart and Joel Wards and and Matt Dumb and everyone you know there's a lot of there's like 40 guys playing in the league right now use them to 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 not just as marketing tools but use them as as outreach use them as as uh, as a big old sign that says you may not be that familiar with hockey and we get it but we got guys who look like you so come on down and we'll teach you what this game's all about you know, doing that in some cool manner, not in a really cheesy manner, like I just said, because that kind of sounds like what the NHL would actually literally say. But <laughs> in like you know, in a chill, cool manner of that's what again with the NBA is it's so interactive with their fans, and why that's so you know why you feel like you can touch LeBron and or or, or Curry or touch these guys now is because you see so much of the freedom and personality that they're allowed and they're encouraged to show. But we're not exactly encouraged to do the same thing. And that's not just a black thing in hockey. You know, Alex Ovechkin finally won the Stanley Cup years after everyone's like, ah, is he ever going to be good enough to do it? Is he going to do it? He doesn't care enough to do it. He just wants to go back and play in Russia. Well, that Russian kid finally shut down all, all, uh, all haters, shut down any critics, silenced them all, put it on the line, captained his team to a Stanley Cup victory, and then the guy wiled out. He partied, he did kegs, and he was swimming in fountains. Yo, I'm sorry, but that's what everyone does when they win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> what you should be doing when you win the Stanley Cup, because it is damn hard to win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. But he did that, and the hockey community was like, nah, we don't like that. That's not how we do things. We celebrate, you know, like gentlemen. You know, I get it, <laughs> but give me a break. Yes. People... Fans loved that. They loved seeing the personality of this wild hooligan Russian wiling out because he he achieved his lifetime goal. Yes. And he did it after a lot of people counted him out. And we're going to hate on how he chooses to celebrate as if none of us have, you know, partied before. That's just crazy talk. But that's the hockey culture not really, like, embracing that type of personality. They They don't. And it's not that they're like purposely not letting it happen. It's just it's the way that hockey culture is. We just don't do that. Part of that I like in the sense that they're very guarded and protected and, and they like to protect the image of their league to keep it squeaky clean. And that's good because it doesn't look like hockey's full of a bunch of hooligans and degenerates. I like it for that reason. But it's so limiting and it's hurting further future growth and progress of the league when you're not allowing its own athletes to, for one, be expressive the way they want to be, but also embrace that and look around and be like, we have, um, we have, uh, you know, black, making sure they all fall under the same umbrella or the same blanket, because that's not what we would do in society. You would never, we acknowledge that, that Chinese immigrants come here and they now have a Chinatown. Or I live in Little Italy in Ottawa. You know what I mean? Like, there's different nights. Like, we're constantly embracing every day in our lives. But when we get into the hockey community, it's, like, so singularly, no, we can only do this way. I know this is a really long, long-winded answer right now. But, yes, to, to be honest, like, the, the game of hockey is truly missing out on on the growth potential in its marketing and its revenue and its um, viewers and everything. And I largely think if they tapped in to spending some time promoting 
the success stories of a lot of the brothers in the league who a lot of them also come from struggling, struggling backgrounds. I think it would reach a massive wingspan of fans and start to teach people that, you know, hockey's not just a white man's sport. There's lots of guys who can play it. People who look like it, like, like, like me, like, like all, all kinds of different races. People can relate because there are guys like that out there who have played. It's just no one like really knows about it because we don't promote it. No, you're absolutely right. And, and to be honest with you, Mark, I think there's something to be said about actually about what you said in, in kind of using these players as a tool. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because you know, you made mention another LeBron James of the world and, and everybody can kind of put, you know, put themselves in LeBron's shoes in the sense they can dream to be like LeBron. And, you know, I, as a little kid myself, when I saw, uh, you know, Madsen might not be the best example because you know, he's not Canadian or whatever, but when I saw Madsen score a goal, you know, I wanted to be Madsen Dean. Sure. So I can imagine, you know, uh, people of color in the minority groups seeing somebody that looks like them that, that they can relate to, you know, scoring uh, the game seven goal. I, I'm pretty sure Devontae Smith Pelly scored a, a very important goal in the Washington Stanley Cup run. And he scored a ball. He scored three, I think, yeah, game winners. winners. He, had, he had a few big ones, right? Um, yeah, like Paul Ward scored game seven winners. Yes. PK scored seven winners. Like, that's what little black kids love to see because they can relate really? to that. So if you want to continue to grow, you'll promote that and <laughs> promote that because I guarantee there's going to be kids out there and adults, to be quite honest, who are going to get down with the game of hockey because they're for the first time going to realize, oh, damn, brothers do this too and they do it well. Yo, I'm starting to like this thing. It's not so closed off. It's hard to reach out to minorities when you're exclusively white. But you're saying, come on down and see what we got to offer. A lot of the minorities are going to be like, no, we're straight because <laughs> we don't, they can't relate to what you're offering. Yes. But when you put black players up there, a black community can now relate to what you're offering. You know, so it's, it would be like trying to target a strictly female audience with just like a male sport, but instead of promoting like the women's hockey side of it too. You know what? You would never go about doing something that way because you're purposely avoiding a complete demographic by solely pumping them just the one thing. So why wouldn't you change it? You know, when you're trying to target minority fans or minority groups or minority communities all over North America as well. And that kind of leads into the next question because now you've started to really leverage your own platform for advocacy. Um, you know, we had we we asked this of Leo Rounds. We had him as a guest just you know more recently about the resistance to his political stance. Um, what has been the hardest criticism, or what has been some of the pushback from your own advocacy now, Mark? Um, yeah, well, let me say first, there's there's definitely been an overwhelming amount of support um, that I've received, uh, which has been fantastic. Uh, I couldn't be you know more grateful and appreciative of the messages that are coming in from everyone of all types of races um with just the overwhelming support that being said some of the perhaps negative responses it's, it's, in my in my last week it's, it's it's honestly been about not so much about um what we're saying here it has nothing to do with me speaking my truth about racism existing in my life or racism perhaps existing in the hockey community. I don't think anyone can truly diminish that. People have tried. They tried with Akeem Alou when he came out. Um, a lot of people hated it and said, why are you trying to you know, ruin the game of hockey and everything like that? A ton of 
uh, uh, racial slurs were thrown at him because of what he had just spoke his truth, and that's about it. Um, any of the crit- not so much criticisms, but the difficulty and responses I've had to deal with um, has been if I post something that's along the lines of, of Black Lives Matter or promoting some type of message like that, and it's 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 in the, the All Lives Matter responses, um, which is really infuriating because um, the whole point of Black Lives Matter is not at all to diminish that every or speak ill of all lives. We're quite accepting and, 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 and promoting that all lives matter. The whole point is there's a particular group of people who are being treated unfairly, systematically and overtly, whether that's seen in social injustices, in, 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 in you know, lack of, of opportunity, the history in America, lack of opportunities for blacks to have uh, uh, you know, to get receive bank loans when they finally do the the ridiculous interest rates they get because they're a risk. Where like they're not at all a risk compared to anyone else um, in their in their income bracket. Uh, the 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 actual refusal to allow blacks to live in certain communities or or whatever different forms of segregation there are. Um, you know, so it's it's the all lives matter argument is is nothing. That has no, that has, that has just no premise in what we're trying to say right now. You know, what, it was so funny. One of the things that I posted was that I thought was clever was, um, it was a meme saying something along the lines of, you know, when we say Black Lives Matter, what we're saying is, if there was a house on fire, and uh, there's ten houses and one house was was on fire, you would put out the one house that's on fire. You wouldn't spray all ten of the houses and then get to the the burning house last because all houses matter. We know that all houses matter. It's just that one particular house needs help right now. Yes. So in posting that, I still got people responding, being like, I don't literally saying, I don't agree with that. And then trying to explain it to me. And that obviously I try not to spend too much time on, on those types of comments because it really just derails for one, it's the energy that I just don't want to spend going down that road, but yes. it really just derails my message completely. Um, and I just, you know, basically feel bad for people who don't understand what the message is, even in like a well explained, like meme, they still don't understand what it is. Um, but those are the types of things I've had to deal with. Not so much, um, anyone like clapping back, but just kind of on Twitter, there's been a few like just snide comments, you know, like, oh, like great story. Why don't we? Why don't we? Uh, why doesn't the player tribute do an article on 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 this as well? Like something insulting, something that would basically doesn't deserve to be covered. And their point is like, oh, yawn, another black guy crying about something. You know, why don't we? Why don't we just just give them all a story? Let let them all express their feelings so that we can feel bad about ourselves. That's not at all what any of us are trying to do. Like that's well, certainly missing the argument of what's happening in society. No one's trying to make anyone feel bad about themselves. We're trying to stop ridiculous injustices from happening. And people that aren't aware of that, I mean, there's only, you can never make everyone happy, right? The whole point is that we just got to get the majority of people on our side. And, and that's that's what we're trying to do right now. Excellent. And I, I, truthfully, I think that's kind of what the uh, what Akima Lu and Evander Kane are trying to do now with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Um, from my understanding, it's, it's a group of NHL players that are 
you know, attempting to educate the world of hockey or, or maybe even sports in general, just about racism and, and social injustices that take place in sports and specifically hockey. Uh, so I guess my question to you is, you know, what were your initial thoughts to this? And um, if you know a little bit more about it, you know, in further detail, if you can explain to uh, our listeners what, what they're going to try and achieve and what their, what their goals are. Um, and, you know, maybe are you participating in the alliance? Are you aligned with it at all? And just overall your thoughts on it. Um, as of right now, I'm not aligned in any like official manner. Um, I've spoken to the guys, and, and this has been something that we've actually talked about for months. Um, not just myself and them, but myself, them, and a lot of other uh, black hockey players uh, at the NHL pro levels. Um, both guys currently playing and former players as well. Um, a lot of us this past winter have been in discussion with each other about base just, you know, what to do. Um, I'm happy that the guys, uh, were able to come up with something. It's obviously still very early stages. Um, and there's a lot of work ahead for all of us to, to try to encourage real change happening, especially in the hockey community. But from what I know, uh, the plans of the, the Alliance committee is, um, for one, to, to start um, having an imprint at a grassroots level, um, I don't, I can't speak for them in, in exactly what they may have planned exactly per se, um, but they have plans to start at grassroots level, is what we were talking about earlier, um, to get more diversity in the game starting at a younger age. A lot of that has to do, again, with affordability. So now we need to tackle what can we potentially do, excuse me, or what potential... Um, you know, charities or, or donations or, or funding can we raise for player for uh, young um, boys and girls of color to grow up playing the game that we all loved. Um, on top of that, I know that they would love to to have to be key contributors in working alongside with the NHL and um, creating some type of diversity so that we don't have any more Bill Peters type. Um, type incidences or, or even with uh, Akeem Elius when he when his uh, trainer blackface as him for Halloween so that we don't have any types of these issues anymore in the training. And then another step further, if there are further issues or future issues, sorry, um, what's the punishment going to be? I know that the committee is going to want to have some form of say in what the punishment, what the repercussions should be because a lot of what, with my own personal opinion, not speaking for them at all, but for myself, I think it's important that there's black representation in the this type of decision making, um, because when it comes down to it, we're the ones who know what it's like to be the victim of a racial attack. So I don't think it's completely fair for older white guys who don't know what it's like to be the victim of a racial attack to be the ones, the sole one who's creating the legislation and, and, and the discipline for any future actions. So between involvement at a grassroots level, and I know some charitable contributions, um, trying to make the game more affordable, and as well in, in being involved heavily in some, in, in what some the creating of the, the diversity training alongside of creating some form of legislation that'll, that'll you know, properly articulate uh, what kind of, disciplinary actions need to be taken if something is if something does occur that that's as far as i understand what the, the right now at least the main focuses are i wish i could give you more information 
I personally have, have reached out to a few of the guys and only spoken with a couple of them, but it was still fairly preliminary. It wasn't like in any real form of depth. Um, but the thing is, it's a good start. Um, the fact that the league is, is, is recognizing this committee, that they can work alongside of the league, I think there's a lot more partners to, to get involved yet. Um, but again, that's just my own opinion. That's not me speaking on their behalf. Um, but it, it's, it is a good start because it's acknowledging that, for one, it's acknowledging that the black players aren't just going to take this in stride. They're not just going to say, okay, it's out there. Everyone now knows there's racism in hockey. We just trust, you know, whatever higher powers to deal with it. They're not saying that. They're very much saying, thank you for acknowledging this is an issue, um, but we're still not going to go away quietly. And that's that's fantastic. That's what you know, black community and the black hockey community, um, especially when you know specific to the NHL, um, should be doing. There should be some kind of diversity uh, alliance or diversity committee um, formed from all this. It's kind of crazy to be honest to think about it that it hasn't actually already been in existence, right? Because twenty years into the twenty first century, like this is most certainly nothing new. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of corporate entities out there that have had diversity training for decades. It's kind of crazy that the NHL is, is only now sort of um, finding its way. No, absolutely. You know, what I guess it's 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 never too late in reality. But I guess we can say as as NHL fans, it's nice to see that they're trying to take an initiative and try and find a, a solution to what's going on. Because, like you said, years ago this probably wouldn't have been on their radar or at least it wouldn't have been taken as seriously. Yeah. Um, so I definitely don't want to uh, shift the focus, but I, I do want to ask you a little bit about the Maple Leafs since we are a Maple Leafs podcast. Sure. Um, you know, it was evident you weren't scared to drop the gloves and defend your teammates because truthfully it seemed like you were fighting on a nightly basis with the Leafs, especially <laughs> every time you played Boston, which I personally loved. And players which was unbelievable uh, so my question to you is was fighting something you enjoyed or was that more of you know a part of routine that you were kind of good at and it allowed you to make a living in the NHL because you hear that often from enforcers and you know fourth line players who were forced to fight that they didn't actually enjoy it they did it because it was they made a career for them so um it was a little bit of both for me to be honest it was um uh it was obviously something that uh I, oh, I did, I enjoyed it, like, within the game. Um, I got to be, you know, pretty good at it uh, throughout junior levels. My size and, and strength obviously helped <laughs> there. But, yeah, definitely once I got to the pro level, uh, when I first started coming in with the Devils, it wasn't anything that, well, I guess perhaps there was times where it was kind of like, you got to go do this. Um, right. That nudge or sort of more or less having a coach send uh, you out. For that, that for that reason, um, that's definitely something that would have happened. But it, it's also, you know, to be able to make it to the NHL, you have to have a, a genuine, um, you, you know, a, a realistic view of yourself. You have to have um, true self reflection as far as what, what you are as a player. You can't. I couldn't. I could have never made it to the NHL if I was in the minors. Going to be like, well, this is ridiculous. Why well, I'm not getting, you know, power play time. I deserve more because I'm already in the wrong mindset to understand what my role is, to understand what my abilities are, and my strengths and weaknesses. So it definitely was something like I had to play. I was encouraged, obviously, to play into it, and I was also, you know, learned early um, 
if I can play this role for the Lowell Devils, there's a good chance I will be acknowledged and brought up at some point with the New Jersey Devils and, and you know, fulfilling the same role. Because Lou Lamarillo was definitely a guy who, who loved having a few guys who could bang in, in his lineup. Um, right. So in that sense, it was always encouraged. But then when it comes down to like the nitty gritty of it, uh, I love it. Like I, I, love, <laughs> I, I, I love, I guess I loved like just truly fighting. Like I got excited for my first fight of the season to come when it's been like a few months of being off. I loved it. That's awesome. I probably loved it because like I said, I was good at it. I was a good defender. So I might not have won like every fight. Well, no one wins every fight, but I, uh, you know, I didn't get embarrassed in many, um, so I was, uh, I enjoyed it because uh, I was good at it, but I just, man, the rush is like, <laughs> those are my goals. You know? I love scoring goals too, but my yeah. fight legitimately felt like they were my goals as far as the rush I got, the excitement I got, that just, uh, the adrenaline rush is, is, is nuts, even if it's only a 20 second scrap. It's nuts to think that like you just shed them and go in front of crazy 18,000 screaming fans. And then that the result of that is I could be sitting in the belly box for only five minutes, but then something in that five minutes might happen where my team, um, you know, is all of a sudden just on my other Boston, for example, they're just in Boston zone in Boston zone. And then perhaps we get a goal. The amount of times that I've been in the belly box after it's not obvious. Uh, I don't know. It might be like 15% or, or, you know, 20% of my, well, maybe not 20, but like 15% of your fights. And you're in the penalty box, and your team scores or like does get some like just has this crazy momentum swing. It's hard not to believe that you contributed to that because that's also part of it. I wasn't necessarily just a premeditated fighter in that I just fought for the show and I fought just to get my. But there was times where I definitely went out there looking for it because I was trying to get my boys going. We're down a goal, and I can sacrifice a few minutes of ice time right now to do something that's going to send a message. And it's even better if I can do it and grab a guy who is, a, is as far as we're concerned, is a guy who's deserving of it. You know, a guy who maybe took a liberty on one of my teammates or did something dishonorable to us as a group. Man, the, 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 the camaraderie that's developed around boy, your boys being willing to actually chuck cans for the pride and honor of the group or some, you know, Kadri gets smoked and I'm the first guy in there and, 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 and he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think guys would know, but he, <laughs> he knows Fraser has his back. Yes. That, yeah. That's no joke. Like, that bond lasts forever. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There's a lot of, like, passion and emotion behind that as well to know that I contributed. I was never going to be the, 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 the naturally skilled goal scorer, but if I, like I said, could feel like I contributed on the score sheet, in a manner of of, of creating momentum, uh, defending my 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 my, uh, my my group's honor and pride, um, or switching momentum, or, or legitimately just putting on a show <laughs> for the fans, whatever it was, man, I loved it. It was such an amazing just thrill. Like I don't think many guys like it if they're not good at it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> see why you no one likes getting punched in the face. Um, but yeah, man, just to tussle like. That's going to be one of the things I'm not like wanting to shadow box right now. <laughs> about so, Mark, so what you're saying is we're lucky that we're on the other side of this camera, right, buddy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're lucky, you're lucky this, is, uh, this is an in person. I might start grabbing callers and everything. But, no, it's, um, 
I, I loved it. <laughs> obviously, like the, the best year I had in my career um, was was you know the time I spent in Toronto, and and that was that was the most you know between the Marlies and the Leafs, that was the most I'd ever fought in 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 a couple seasons as well. Um, oh yeah, you know I was, and you, and, had, you, you know, had like you had well over two hundred penalty minutes in in that one season. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think I had like a hundred plus. Just I, with the Marlies. Just with the Marlies, and it was only half. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, so I, I loved it, man. It was it was great, but again, it's one of those moments where you know, it's a contact sport. So it's something, in my opinion, that always will be in the game and should be because without it, we all know the other side of the argument that it arguably helping police ourselves makes it a little bit safer than if you would just have. The rats or the dangerous or the the you know the the really dirty players out there with no physical repercussions that is more dangerous than it is than us punching each other and potentially risking obviously concussions and and, and any type of CTE. Um, that's kind of it's a weird argument I know to make, but I truly do believe that the threat of of getting beat up and, and making people not do something shady or dirty in a game will outlast any threat of from an official or suspension or anything guys aren't afraid of that but guys are definitely afraid of getting embarrassed physically um that's just our human nature so i totally believe it has a place but no man i loved it like having a coach come in after a big scrap and it might have changed the tide and the swing of momentum in the game and having that coach give you a shout out you know great job phrase you know way to get us back in that that's what you're doing it for. When you skate back across the ice and you try not to look at the bench, but everyone's standing up and tapping their it's like, that's for you, man. That's for you. That's that's all your boys. Imagine you could do something where 20 of your closest boys stood up and from a distance applauded you and said, good job, homie. That's, you know, way, way, way to have our back. I mean, that's, like I said, that's bonding for life type of stuff. And, 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 and that's why I just truly always enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, that's what I had to do. Like I always prided myself on being a good defender as well as a solid physical defensive defenseman. I was no Paul Coffey. I wasn't Scott Niedermeyer. But I proud pride myself on the Devils, you know, grooming me and teaching me how to play solid, good D. But when it came to being able to bang, I loved it because that's that was like my that's how I shone I shined in the game. You know, that's how I had to. That's what I had to do to to last six years in the league. And I was beyond willing to do that. I would. <laughs> You know, if someone wanted to give me a job now to be their tough guy, I'd be 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, you've been really generous with your time. So we do have one final question to wrap up this interview. Um, and it kind of gets us back to the Player Tribune article. And I want to go back to how you closed it. Um, you made a specific comment about how silence is violence. Um, what could podcast bloggers such as Senator Youth Nation, you know, Lucas, myself, and even Anthony, who's not on this uh, interview with us today, uh, do to help silence or help break the science around racism and increase the advocacy around equity for all? Um, really just, so kind of back to the beginning, um, it's great that this, this is an issue that's now been um, that's understood. It's great that there is awareness. It's great that everyone can say, I don't understand it. I don't understand what it's like to perhaps be like you. But I'm listening, and I'm willing to open up my ears and listen. That's a huge um, first step. But like I kind of said about um, earlier with the, you know, some of the big dogs of the league uh, and some of the comments that were made, it's great to have that acknowledgement, and it's great to have that open support. Um, 
but more is needed. And part of what I wrote was not just that I need more and that we need more, but in order to create true, true change so that uh, George Floyd needs more, Breonna Taylor needs more, Ahmaud Aubrey needs more, the people whose lives are actually being taken from them. You know, think about that. It's not just me having to deal with, uh, you know, have a fan heckling me when I was 14 years old or 17 years old or whatever. It's the fact that my brothers and sisters, people who look like me and look like a lot of the peers that we all have, friends, neighbors, peers, whatever, we're, be, we're being killed for unjust reasons. Lives are being stripped from us. So as much as the understanding and the acknowledgement and the written sentiments are huge as far as support and they truly did give me a voice they allowed me to find my own voice so that i could use my platform and leverage my platform to get these messages out action also needs to be taken it's not almost just enough to say that's wrong or it's not enough to know that's wrong but never say that's wrong you know like we were saying about a teammate might make a joke but i just kind of had to laugh and take it someone needs to stand up and say we can't be silent and just let that type of thing happen anymore. We need to let it be known. Look, you know, you're trying to like perhaps be funny, but let's ask this guy if he appreciated the context of that joke before we ever do that again. That's how you're not being silent. You're not allowing it to continue to happen. There's not a violent act in that, of like being a racial joke or something, but there potentially is pain and hurt that's being caused. So now you take it to the other extreme, which is the police brutality that we're, we're trying to fight against right now. That straight up is violence. And it's not, well, it started with minorities, but the fight from all the peaceful protesters being assaulted right now is no longer strictly minorities. White people are getting abused and assaulted by police right now as well. So the fact that there's an organization or that there's a system in place that allows the authority who's there to protect and serve to harm individuals who have a right to stand up and, and express whatever belief they want. And this particular belief is just for human equality, <laughs> equal rights, not something you'd really think we'd have to fight for, but sure enough, we do. The majority can't go silent. It's not enough for the majority in speaking to the white community, and I'm half white, but speaking to the white community to say, you can stand with us and, 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 and we're good. We'll solve this. No, we need action to be taken. We need voices to be loud. We need educate people to be educated on, on what to do. Um, raise our children right. Raise your children right. Teach them the differences. Start having the conversations at young ages on that these things are happening so you can remove that hate from them. Educate yourselves on black history. Because you know what? A lot of what we're experiencing in society, especially in America, has was, was the foundational levels of it was built off of the labor of black people. Educate yourself. You don't have to do a deep dive and start taking courses on all this black. Just read some articles. Do a few. Read a, read a book about it. Google where to go. Look into different charities. There's, um, there's uh, I believe it's called, uh, there's Take Back the Block. There's... Um, uh, I think it's color of change or change of color, change of things. Um, you can Google all this. Um, you know, there's, there's national police, um, accountability projects. 
donate to these systems. Donate. Understand that your dollars can we can cash that. We can actually use that as a resource to help grow whatever it is we need to grow in order to see change. Um, words are phenomenal because that's a, that's just a start. We need action to be taken, and if you're you're on the side of of fighting against racial injustices and police brutality, then it doesn't help us to just be standing on that side and saying nothing. If you can stand on the right side of this argument, but have a piece of tape over your mouth, you're not helping the cause. In a way, there's an argument that you're hurting the cause. And that's what I mean by silence is violence. It's a sense that the less noise that's made, the more violence is going to be felt from people like me. And if anyone out there cares about people like me or me as an individual, understand that for the types of oppression that I deal with, even in Canada, even in the 21st century, even as a former NHL hockey player, the types of things I have to deal with every day when I walk out of my door won't go away unless people are willing to raise their voices, to educate themselves, to speak to people in their community to not let that person's racial joke go to at least have some understanding that um, you know let's at least inquire with their black friends if that's something that they're cool with or not before we just go ahead and start speaking in a particular manners and understanding what real change is action it's 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 not everyone having to be volunteer to five different charities or, or organizations it's simply just Knowing and understanding that it's happening, the acknowledgement is great, but you cannot stand on the that side of the fence and say nothing. You have to be able to use your voice because for too long in the history of North America, America and Canada alike, in the history of racism on this continent, black voices screaming, and those shouts may, may come in forms of rioting and, 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 and burning of buildings. For that type of pain to be felt by a race of people, that this is the only way they feel they can be heard, is to literally destroy buildings. Understand what would have to happen to you in your life to feel that kind of, of, of hurt and to want to express yourself in that way. And then that's the type of noise we need people to bring with us. It doesn't mean you got to go out burn buildings or anything like that. It's means understand where that raw emotion comes from. Try to put yourself in the person's shoes that's feeling that. And whatever it is that could potentially get you to that point of being like, no, I would no longer ever stand for that kind of treatment against me or my family or whatever. That's the type of voice we need people to bring to this cause of action because silence otherwise will continue to allow violence to happen in America. Well, thanks very much, Mark, for your time. We know that it is definitely, you know, a very difficult time for yourself and, and your friends and loved ones. So we definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, where can our, our listeners uh, find you on social media to kind of continue to follow your advocacy and your work? And, uh, you know, if you want to promote any current projects that you might be personally working on, so we can keep tabs on that as well. Um, I actually do have a couple personal projects, but to be honest, they're not ready for promotion just yet. Um, but I would love the an opportunity to promote them in a later time. 
Um, but on Twitter, I actually had to just look it up. <laughs> on Twitter, I'm Mark Fraser02. And uh, on Instagram, uh, mark.fraser.2. Um, I would love people, yeah, come check it out. You know, you'll be able to see on both platforms. I'm still fairly new to the social media game, but on both platforms, I've just been putting out content, things that are relative to me and my fight right now. And, and um, you know, I, I've had a, a few TSN interviews, CBC interviews, um, a couple podcasts, and obviously the Player Tribune article was huge for me. So um, there's plenty of content that I, I've put out there. Feel free to Google Mark Fraser TSN Radio in Vancouver and Edmonton. You'll see, uh, you know, about 20-minute interviews there. A couple times I actually got emotional during them, just trying to express my sentiment on, on and my pain on, on what, you know, what the two last two weeks have, have been like for me. Um yeah, hit me up on Instagram, mark.fraser.2, or Twitter, markfraser02. Um, and just, yeah, man, hit me up with any kind of support. And just just uh, thank you so much, guys, for having me on this platform, man. Because truly, like I said, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the majority speaking out that has allowed me to find my own voice. Um, so I'm just truly grateful that, you know, I could come on to, the, to, to any platform. And, and just express, you know, just speak my truth, man. Just, just share my story and... and and uh, and just try to, to push that needle a little bit further towards some change. Excellent, Mark. Thanks again. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely keep tabs on your new project. And hopefully we'll have you back on again soon. And, you know what, hopefully, and you know, maybe as we look down the road from this and, and we actually start to see some change, maybe our next conversation will be a more positive one. I certainly hope so. I love that. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Thanks, guys.